Issues, this is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to most of you pre-recorded from uh, the heart of New York City, Manhattan, Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. Yeah? I Ooh. ate dinner at John's restaurant last night. Uh, we're, we're doing this show on a Friday, because next week I'm going to be uh, in Maine, and the week after that, uh, I'm going to be doing the Harvard Science of Cooking thing, so if you're in... Boston, two weeks uh, from uh, Monday, right? Two weeks from Monday? No, a week from next Monday. Whatever that date is. I'm not so good with the with dates and yeah. figures. And yeah. Then uh, you can come to the public September lecture in 5th. Boston. Yeah, bring, uh, bring... Listen, it's too late to start storing eggs now. If you leave an egg out now, it will not rot by the time I have my... Unless, you, unless you're the kind of person... There was a guy named Todd I went to uh, high school with, and... Two months in advance of Halloween, he would start storing eggs under his uh, under his bed in the hope that they would get rotten and he could throw them at people like me as I pass by. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, Joe? You you uh, know any you know any egg throwers? Um, I knew a couple egg throwers back in the day. Yeah. Um, I wasn't one of them. I preferred the toilet paper. Really? Yeah. Okay. More, more crafty and you know uh, looks way prettier. Like literally crafty. Yeah. Yeah. I've never TP'd. I've never TP'd anyone. Neither have I thrown an egg at somebody's house. I have thrown an egg at somebody's yeah. person. I've never thrown an egg at somebody's car, and I've never thrown an egg at somebody's house. I have thrown eggs at humans. Anyway, uh, let's bring in uh, the other three people into the conversation. Uh, uh, how you doing, John? Doing good. Yeah? You rudely cut Nastasia off, though, when she was telling an awesome story about what she did last night. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, you don't talk enough. And I'm like, uh, I have a story. And then uh, you're like, I'm going to be at Harvard. Uh, all right, well, all right. Well, we also have, we also have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to that story, but I'm going to introduce, I'm going to introduce Jack and I'm going to introduce Quinn first. Uh, hey, Quinn, how you doing? We got Quinn rocking, uh, rocking up there hey, in uh, Vancouver. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Quinn's got a new microphone, people. sound a lot better. Yeah. Super crisp microphone. He's got the uh, professional microphone. Microphone, uh, you know, better than the one I have at home. Nice. Nice. Sounds good. Yeah. And, uh, Jack, we got you uh, in Los Angeles? Yes, sir. Sweet. Sweet. I also have never TP'd anybody or thrown eggs in the house before, by the way. But what about at people? I don't know why you've thrown eggs at people, but that that never even came into my mind. No. Really? You've never thought of throwing an egg at a person? No. no. <laughs> well, Nastasia introduced me to the friendly Easter egg cascara. So, Nastasia, why don't you talk about the those and whatever you were doing? Well, I'm assuming you were going to talk because I was going to ask you separately about uh, the restaurant you went to last night. But you actually didn't really start launching into that story until I, it was too late. But fine, what? we'll go back. We'll listen to the videotape. <laughs> we'll go back to the videotape. But I had it on my agenda for you to talk about your restaurant meal. Uh, last night, so why don't you go ahead and talk about it? It was great. It was real. I have to say, John. Where, where'd you go? I went to John's restaurant, which I had said, um, and uh, the pasta was cooked perfectly. That was that was the highlight of the night. The pasta, which was dried pasta. Can I say what brand it is or yeah. no? Okay, he uses Decheco, which is the best. Yeah. It's just the right. best, oh, really? and everyone needs to. Yeah. Huh? You're, yeah. pro, you're you're pro Decheco in general. Yeah. Yeah. So you think people who hate on it because uh, it's, it's uh, such a big brand are morons, right? That's what what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's truly the best. Like there are some great dried Italian pastas which are maybe better, but like why, you know, just to check out. But yeah. it was amazing. It was like mezza rigatoni, right? Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is you don't feel that there's a need to overspend on pasta because it's only going to be marginally better or marginally yes, worse than I think Checo. so. Do you think so, John? Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, now, for those who have never had pasta from you or with you, Nastasia, what is perfect pasta in your in your like, mind? Oh, not hard al dente, but like a little bit. So if, if I were to take a if I were to take a bite yeah. out of the pasta and then yeah. take a magnifying glass to you it, see a tiny little teeny. teeny. <laughs> Wisp. Yes. Yeah. Wisp. Yes. Of white. Yes. Wisp. Okay. Yeah. So. But you like al dente in this stuff here. Yeah. Like, there's, yeah. Yeah. If it's harder, fine. But, like, the perfection is, like, where John Appreciate had it. Stuff, yeah. So. All right. Wait, so, so, what about, yeah. what about when, what about when the, that what do you what do you call it? the nerve right on the inside of the pasta, the white, the white, the whisper oh, of white. Right, what if yeah, that when right. it gets a little bit. 
too thick, and then you can feel the thing go chunk when you bite into it. Yeah, I don't like that. And then it gets stuck in your molars and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's not great. Yeah. But it's better. Th- I think that's better than oh. overdone. Yeah? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I- uh, let me ask this. Uh, how do you feel? Okay, so let's just say somebody, they get, uh, so you know how everyone now is into the small amount of water Megillah, right? Everyone's lowering their water content when they're boiling, right? You guys familiar with this argument? No. No. Right? That you don't need a giant pot of yeah. boiling no, water, right? Everyone's familiar now. Yeah. Now we're on the same page. Whether you cook that way yeah. or not, you're familiar with the argument, right? And that yeah. a lot of studies have been shown that, in fact, that's true. That, you know, you don't need a, a crap ton of water to cook the pasta, right? Okay. Stipulated. However, how about this? Estasia, I'm, I'm going to try to trigger you a little bit. You pour the pasta in and you don't have a lot of water. And you don't stir it enough before it comes starts coming back to the boil. And you have that one clump of pasta that doesn't cook at the same oh, rate as the rest of the pasta. And then half of the crap is overcooked and then half is too raw. Terrible. What do you think? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> but how many times has that happened when you've gone out? Not to a restaurant usually, but because they're doing it in giant vats and finishing it off. But I mean like at somebody's house. How many times has that happened to you? Zero? That's never happened to you. No. You've never gotten pasta where where they're differently like, cooked? Maybe like at home when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And you're just ranking on your mom. Yeah. So yeah. Mom, not all moms have to be in the kitchen. It was actually my dad. Oh, well, cooked. that's interesting <laughs> that you try to make it that way because all the stories you talk about cooking are from your mom cooking. That's not true. What about the peppers? Yeah, that's one story that you've focused on. That, like for every what decades. about what about what about oh the le- what about the lemongrass? Every story you tell is about your mom cooking. Lemon and now all of a sudden I'm a bad guy. Lemongrass I don't like because it grew in the backyard and I would just smell it all day long. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Every time you have something to say, you say something negative about your mom's cooking. And then this time you're like, it was my dad, and you're being my gendered. dad made limoncello. Remember that? Yeah, that's you know I'm, I don't know that's more of a liquor, but okay, all right. So you're saying your dad can't cook pasta straight? My dad doesn't do like that kind of stove cooking, no. Like he he's not a fan of stove cooking. Okay. So does he grill? Does he does he grill, yeah. Uh, now 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 who's uh, going back to stereotypical roles? <laughs> <laughs> Men grill and women use the stove. Says Nastasia Lopez. Yeah, all right. Listen, if anyone happens to be, I hope they're not, but if anybody happens to be listening uh, on the Patreon, your All Access Pass, you can call in your questions to 917-410-1507. This is live on Patreon? I believe it is. 917-410-1507. If they're watching the yeah. YouTube, they, uh, they they can get Isn't that right, Quinn? Yeah, all, all Access and VIP members. So a smaller subset than usual. All Access sounds gross, for real. <laughs> Like, it's just gross. I don't know. I don't well, know. that was before my time. So. Yeah. Speaking of all access, Nastasia, <laughs> did uh, did you guys get uh, backstage at the Robert Plant concert? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. Did, did you make it into the Robert Plant concert at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were yeah, we tried really hard. And, uh, yeah, we... I mean, how it hard? It was, like, real hard. Okay. Who was that, Robert Plant? And was, was he by with, himself? No, with... Shania um, Twain? No, what's her name? I don't Alison Krauss. Oh, ah, those are... That record's actually really good. It's really... Yeah, I was surprised. He sounds so good. And then he did a couple Led Zeppelin songs, and I was like, why don't you just do that? Like, <laughs> you know... Wait, stop. No, 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 no. Like, you why hate it when people are like that, though. No, no, no. I Just think, do the hits. No, no, no. I think he and her, she sang with him okay. and on the Led Zeppelin songs, and it was amazing. Even songs that I don't care about, like that Zeppelin songs. Can he still hit the notes? Yes. It's so, it's chilling. It's mm. really good. Mm. And then what's his name was there. That's how we almost got backstage. Um, the Big know. Lebowski. What's his name? Uh, Br- Jeff Bridges? Bridges. Yeah. He was in a robe and slippers. Wait, so wait, so you, but you, you have a hookup with him? You have a hookup with Bridges? Because I know someone that knows him. Do you think he's Ruben? (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Yeah, my friend is, yeah. Yeah. I met his his, uh, spy consultant for that uh, old man who's an interesting cat. I bet. Interesting cat. Um, All right. 
Anything else you guys want to bring up before we get into theoretically talking about uh, food? I think we're good. And or <laughs> how's your making your own mayonnaise going so far, John? Good. It's fine. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> By the way, yeah. that was the uh, that was the YouTube highlight this week. <laughs> oh, the uh, the mayonnaise rant. <laughs> yeah. Hey, speaking of rants, yeah. speaking of rants, so the Ninja Corporation has finally, not finally, the Ninja Corporation has sent a creamy, we all know how I feel about the name of their of this product, it's, it's, the, it's the Ninja, hi, the Paco Jet patent has run out, right? That's what it basically is. Hey folks, the patent for the yeah. Paco Jet has run out, let's make one that people can afford, and by all accounts, like, it's, it's affordable, I mean, for a Paco, so it's, it's less than, it's one-tenth the cost of a Paco Jet. That's like, not like... Ten percent less, yeah, one tenth, an also, order of magnitude cheaper. Who staged this no, it's photo? Closer Glenn, to five percent. What do you say? Yeah, I know it's it's, it's closer to five percent. Isn't it? Three, isn't it three hundred bucks? Isn't a Paco Jet still bucks. three grand? I thought it was like six grand. Oh, it used to be. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It used to be three grand. Whatever. All I'm saying is, is that Paco Jet ain't cheap. So uh, they, I don't know that Quinn, you haven't had a chance to test it yet, but we're gonna do, we're gonna do a creamy based episode yeah. wherein you know Quinn talks about his experience with the creamy, and then you know I'll ask him various questions about uh, creamy I, versus pocket. I, I have comments on the recipe book, but we can save that. <laughs> Are they positive comments or negative comments? Uh, well, about the gelato specifically, but I could save it. <laughs> well, I was like. Let me, uh, can I just say this, Quinn? Because we haven't done any kind of recipe testing together uh, as as a whole group yet. I highly encourage you to just make their recipe as well to see whether it works in their equipment. To see whether or not they have made a recipe that works well in their equipment. You see what I'm saying? And then, if you actually made their recipe to the letter, then you have a much better place from which to lob criticism at. Does that make sense? It's not a criticism. It's just more that their gelato recipes are definitely not gelato. They're frozen custard. Okay. What questions do they taste good though? They're going to call it. They're going to call sure it. Want. I'm sure they're delicious. All right. I'm sure they're delicious. All right. Well, I wouldn't want to mess with. Uh, I wouldn't want to mess with Quinn with your. Uh, so let's let's have this out now because they they are somewhat plastic definitions. I remember you had this. Uh, we had this conversation when you came on uh, a year or so ago when the when you did the, the original book. So what's your main what's your main thing that makes something gelato or not? Is it the overrun? Is it the presence of stabilizers? Is it uh, lower yeah, lower egg base or what? I mean, it 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 can be uh, a combination of things. I would say again, sort of a range of sweetness and fat content as well as the final texture and the final texture is a combination of overrun and stabilizers so for you what makes so in other words like an actual frozen custard right not like like american style like creme anglaise based ice cream but an actual extreme low overrun frozen custard like you'd get out of a ross or stolting custard freezer like from a frozen custard house, very low overrun. So, what would be the difference between that and the gelato in your in your in your book? Well, again, in my book, I have Literally. a custard flavor where that is sort of like the intentional taste. But otherwise, I would say a gelato is sort of agnostic as to the presence. Of eggs, and I think most flavors are better without eggs. Okay, but so what I'm what I'm what I'm I'm trying to figure out. So for you that for you the custard, what what you're calling this recipe that's not a gelato, it's not a bright line as to what goes into it, but the actual just result comes out. You taste it, you're like, no, not gelato. That is that where I'm, is that what, how your well, definition no, I, works? I say the the, the fact the, the fact content's way too high. Ah, I see. Okay, all right. Uh, I have to say, I love frozen custard. I've always wanted to own a frozen custard machine because it's the only small continuous freezer that exists. It's got like almost a zero freeze time. It, it works like a continuous freezer. And then it comes out of the front like a little, 
like weird, like, like, uh, what's the shape? Like an ellipse, like, like, an, like, and then in, into the thing. And it's just base in custard out, base in <laughs> custard out. Oh my God. Low overrun. Uh, now, now I'm thinking also about how much I like Carvel ice cream. And I'm thinking about when we had the, the fudgy inventor on. Yeah. 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 It's neat. Yeah. I wish we could have her in person. That was pandemic days though. Yeah. Anyway, someday. All right. So uh, ask, uh, ask your creamy questions because uh, Quinn is going to try some creamy things out. He's going to – can't believe it. Can you imagine, Stas, if we were sitting around? That's the kind of thing that we would call that in – As a joke. As a joke. And then someone would be like, no, we're, it's a creamy now. We're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we've done dumber. We but done dumber. You know, you know what we should do, Dave? Oh, that? Well, that's the thing we talked about when I was in L.A., an event in L.A. Okay. All right. I mean, you know. Uh, and we got to make it, make it happen. Uh, yeah, your okay, schedule I, is I, always. I had one more creamy. I had one more creamy situation, but I forget. I forget what it was. Some some sort of creamy comment. Oh yeah, uh, Patreon members, we're going to have a discount to purchase the creamy. Is that true, Quinn? Uh, yeah, we are. I have the. Discount code ready, or more of a, yeah, discount code. So, yeah, I will figure that out and post it maybe next week. And so, uh, what, are they, what are they going to, uh, what are they, what are they going to, what are they going to, what are they going to give off? What are they, how much, what percentage are they going to give us? I believe it's uh, 10%. 10. Okay. So, off $300, that's $30. Yeah. So, so basically, you can make money. If you're going to get a creamy anyway, you could join the Patreon, get the discount, make some cash. We make some cash, you make some cash, you have a creamy, have a creamy day. Right? Anyway. Speaking of creamy, when is Nick uh, Coleman coming on? Ooh. Oh. Greasy creamy. So I was talking to Mark Ladner at Nastasia's party, uh, along with our greasy, greasy friend, Nick Coleman, the olive oil uh, master from, uh, uh, what's it called, Grove and Vine. And I asked um, Mark how the old, uh, at Oto, how the old uh, um, gelato used to work, because they, you know, they, the olive oil gelato was the big flavor there. Remember that, Stas? No, but really, okay, yeah, that was the big flavor is their olive oil gelato, and everyone's like, "Give me the recipe for the olive oil gelato," and no one would ever give them the recipe for the olive oil gelato. But he kind of was like, they made a lower fat product and then added the oil during the spin, so they were using an LB one hundred uh, Carpagiani uh, L- uh, Lab one hundred LB one hundred, which is a great old machine. No one makes them; they don't make them anymore. So I don't know what the current model is because I haven't had one. Uh, and yeah, she would add the olive oil kind of mid-spin. That was that was her technique for anyone who wants to try it out. Let me know. I would love to make it with some of his fancy Dan olive oil. If you were making the olive oil gelato, would you use like a throat-ripping green olive oil, or would you go more buttery? Probably buttery. Really? I'm, I would rip my throat. Yeah. Yeah. What about I like you, the Stiles? green. Green? Green, yeah. Joe? I like green. I don't like olive oil gelato, but I would go buttery. I think people would want buttery. Hmm. You think? I think they would want buttery, too. I think you go buttery well. in the base. You go buttery in the base and then serve it with a drizzle of the throat ripper. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting question. Well, maybe you can cream some up for us. Do you remember... Uh, for any of you who uh, used to keep track of old demos, so like one of the funny things about olive oil is that while you can get it to kind of get hard in the in the fridge, it doesn't turn rock, rock hard. So one of uh, I think this was uh, one of Alex Stupak's. I think it was a Stupak thing. He used to uh, drip olive oil into liquid nitrogen, like, and then he'd get the little olive oil balls and then like plate them out, and then they would like kind of melt into the dish as little balls. It was kind of cool. Yeah, and then maple syrup was the other drip into liquid nitrogen, the maple syrup. You remember this stuff, Stas? No. Nastasia never liked any of those demos. She wasn't paying any attention. Listen, <laughs> Alex Stupak. Where was this? Everywhere. It was the demo everyone was doing. He, he did it at the French Culinary maybe like three or four times while we were working together back when he was uh, still at WD. Anyway, uh, and then we would have to go out to events, and, and like Stupak would be the pastry chef that to do the event, and he would sit there and do the bloop, bloop, bloops, and then play, play his, You don't remember any of this? Nope. Okay. Anywho, pretty sure it was Stupak. Uh, pretty sure. Alex Stupak, for those of you that have never Tightly been— wound. What? Tightly wound. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He makes a clock spring look like it's, like it's loose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one wrong move on the Stupak spring, and boing, it shoots up. Yeah, anyway— 
But Alex Stupak, uh, because he's such a freaking perfectionist, his demos are amazing. At least they used to be. I haven't been to a Stupak demonstration in years, but it used to be like, if you come to like one of our demonstrations, it's just a complete crap show. It's just like stuff everywhere, like yelling and screaming, product everywhere, because I'm trying to do a bunch of stuff in a very short period of time and I'm fundamentally disorganized. He does a bunch of stuff in a short period of time, but like a machine. He's like, he's like, can you tell the yelling story with the French fries? Which, which one? The one where you showed up and I gave you Didn't one. Didn't we already tell? No, I don't even So Nastasia and I have been working together for far too long, right? We both assumed that we would work e- with each other for like five, six years. We would make whatever money we needed. We would do it. And then we would be like, we'll go our own ways. And then we can just be friends. Instead, we have to work with each other. Right, Stas? This was a huge mistake. Yeah, I guess so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, uh... So we, uh, you know, we got called a couple of years ago, but right before the pandemic to do this French fry thing. And so like I hadn't done like all the French fry BS in a long time, like all of the different tests. Like I make French fries all the time, but I haven't done all of the tests and bring them. So we go to existing conditions, which was still existing at the time. And, you know, I go back to use their, their fryer and we do a bunch of prep and then I'm doing all this other crap. And then the next day, Nastasia and I have to load up. Right. So I'm chronically late. People know this. I'm chronically late. Right. So. I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Nastasia's doing a bunch of stuff. But Nastasia loves in a high-stress situation to give you crap about stuff that she knows. So, like, I come in to the bar, like, sweating my, you know, like, like you know, wishing I had a box of cornstarch in my chonies. I'm sweating so hard, right? And then I'm like, Nastasia, in front of this whole thing, because these other people were there, shoots me this F you look. This F you you're late again. I'm always dealing with you, you and your crap. When meanwhile, I'm trying to get stuff together so that we can go do this shoot. And I need to literally just a look. Not, just not a just look. a look. Not just <laughs> a look. look. Not just a look, Stas. That's the thing. There's no such thing. If we didn't know each other, then it would be just a look. But it's like after years and years and years of the same looks, the same conversations, the same thing. That's like when you walk up to somebody and you're like, They're like, fine, fine, yeah, fine, 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 whatever. Then after a while, it makes them mad, right? Then, like, the next day, they're still wound up from... So if you walk up and tap them once, they're like, hey, what the hell? You know what I mean? (laughs) You get no... There is no... But you can imagine the other people. It was a photo shoot happening in the bar. The bar was not open for business. That was not, like, open. It was, like, noon, and there was a photo shoot. So I give him one look, and he goes off so the people there just think that he randomly went off on me also also you got to understand people is that prior to this that day we had had unpleasant conversations on the telephone did we yes I remember that. it was a day wasn't it yeah <laughs> anyway so like yes i'm like what the hell blah, blah, oh my blah. god screaming 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 nah. so he looked so bad <laughs> and i think it was that also a time when someone said is that your wife and you were like, like i would never oh. treat my wife like that god, i'm not an animal <laughs> i'm not an animal jesus <sighs> the day before and this is there's there's video evidence I think it's of this on mine, right? there's video evidence of this the day before i'm trying to do stuff and Nastasia is just standing there best the entire con- time I'm trying to cook. Ever. Best content ever. Saying, why is this taking so long? This is not working. That doesn't look right. What's the- While we're recording, this is kind of what I had to deal with all the time. It's, it's on like, my Instagram, it's like, I think. Nastasia is the master of thousands of tiny knives, right? It's like, what she, it's like she's like a bullfighter. She, she keeps stabbing you, bleeding you. And then eventually she comes in with the big shagunk. And takes you out. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's fair, right, Stas? Yes. Mm, yeah. He's like, what am I going to say? It's not fair? Yes. Again. I can't help it. I can't help it. I can't help it. Okay. KG wants to make some scallop crudo for a course I'm serving this weekend. Which weekend? Is it too late? Probably. Mm. Uh, it is, but they're still interested <laughs> okay. in the answer. All right. I, I, I checked. I got that stupid song now in my head. It's much too late for goodbyes. You hate that stuff the most, right, Saz? I don't know. Who, who is that? 
Isn't that uh, Wilburys with uh, George Harrison? Oh, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't like traveling Wilburys. Oh. Yeah. Speaking of songs, has everyone heard about this uh, Janet Jackson song? Uh, is it Daydream? Day, not Daydream Nation. Um, Rhythm Nation that will shut down a laptop or a computer? No, why? Because there's a resonant frequency in the song that's unaudible that uh, matches the same resonant frequency of internal hard drives of certain Windows, um, excuse me, uh, certain PCs, and it's shutting laptops down. Not just the one that's playing it, but the ones that are in the same room. That's so slick. I like that a lot. That's awesome. I like that a lot. That's so strong. (laughs) That's crazy. That is so strong. Oh, my God. So now somebody's sitting at the bar at the restaurant with their computer open for too long. You just play that on the speakers and get them right out. (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. That's like the equivalent of like, uh, you ever like want to build a Faraday cage in your restaurant so that nobody's cell phone works? Yeah. It'd be amazing. For those of you that don't know, Faraday cage is like a... It's like a, it's like being inside of a microwave. It's like n- none of the signals can make it out. And you're good. You don't have yeah. to deal with it. Anyway. Didn't she have a baby at like 60? Wow. I don't know. But well, I, was, I, yeah, I... That's right. She's real. I do know for a fact that... 50, 50. Uh, I do know for a fact that even after menopause, it's possible to have a baby if, uh, you, you know, your uterus still works. I know that that's been done. Hmm. Uh, back to scallop crudo. <laughs> uh, from serving this weekend, I was thinking of curing the scallops. Can Dave or anybody else share any experience or resources they have for brine versus direct salt, salt sugar application versus koji cure, as well as uh, how long to cure for? I, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Huh. I've never done koji uh, on scallop. You, you uh, John, anyone? I haven't. I've seen kombu done before. Yeah, but kombu's kind of classic, like... Kombu, like I used to do like um, like the best uh, Saba sushi, you know, the mackerel sushi, mm-hmm. the, the one that's like not fresh, the one that's like the next day pressed with kombu and you get that kombu pressing. And I've done that a lot with fish, but never as a ceviche alternative, just as something that dehydrates, salts, flavors the fish where it's pushed against it, but yeah. not in lieu of. I don't think the kombu is salty enough for it to be in lieu of a total cure, right? Um I mean, I'm, I wish KG. We need to put this out on the on the Discord. Quinn, do we have any anyone uh, like uh, available on the Discord now? Because I haven't done enough tests to to know for sure. I would say, uh, I mean, I'm I'm typically acid plus salt, and so I usually toss with salt and then add acid, and then that turns it into a brine because it's not dry. But what do you typically do, John? I don't do salt only. You acid. Yeah. And so, you know, um, and so that that's what I would do. And the salt will firm it and help cure it. And the acid, because the acid's going to, you know, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I'm My favorite find- thing to do, actually, is to cheat. Uh, and if you want to do it very quickly, is like slice everything thin so that you can basically just mist bottle, like uh, you sprinkle salt and mist bottle acid on it and then have it cevichify very, very quickly. That's what uh, Nils used to do at the French Culinary. We would never wait to actually do any real ceviche because, I don't know, he just didn't want to. With the exception of he actually used to he used to acid cure with citrus juice uh, salmon roe, and it was pretty good. He would, like, you know, take the already salted salmon roe and then, like, soak them in acid, and they would kind of denature a little bit. Okay. It was, it was good. Uh, but, yeah, he used to do the, the fake quick ceviche by slicing thin and then uh, applying acid. Am I answering this question? Is this making sense? I think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, you know what the worst is? Uh, scallops that have gone off. Yeah. Oh, my God. By the way, if any of you – and I've never lived anywhere else for a long period of time. So, you know, I'm sure wherever you, you who hear me come from, you have great scallops. But here – the best scallop you can get within 500 miles is if you can get a day boat Nantucket scallop. Yeah. I mean, those things are ridiculous. They're so sweet. How much do you love it, John, when you get a scallop at a store and it's clearly been so treated and puffed up with water 
that as soon as it hits the pan, it's like, you am I making soup? Brown it. Yeah, it's the worst. It's so sad. Scallop is my favorite shellfish too. Really? It's, yeah, I love scallops. Where are you? Where are you on scallops? Does hate? I hate them. Oh, I hate them. One time, and Mark Ladner also hates them. One time, they like they gifted us some at a restaurant. We put them in a napkin and put them in my purse. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Jeez. That's wow. how much we hate them. Yeah. Wow. So you're saying you don't like um, any prep? No prep? Uh, no. Would you? I'm trying to figure out. Well, I, if it's a sushi thing, I can deal with that. But oh. what about, and this is not the ideal way to make a scallop, but what about like battered and fried? No, 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 no. no. So you can't even tolerate that? No. I overeat uh, them as a kid. Oh, uh, who cooked them? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really don't remember. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's interesting. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting not to like them in any way. I can I can tolerate sushi. And yeah. I can if somebody is serving them at their house and they're so proud or what I'll eat I'll eat it, but it's nauseating to me. Yeah. Ooh. I love how you You taught me. Mm, fucking, that's so strong, Sas. <laughs> that's so no one knows what we're talking about. Yeah. Well so like when someone you know yeah, well, look, it's not even a thing anymore. Now, like, n- nauseous doesn't mean nauseous anymore, right? It doesn't mean anything anymore. So no one uses nauseated. People say, I'm nauseous. And I'm like, you are. But it doesn't have any meaning anymore. You know what I mean? It used to, because something that is nauseous is something that causes nausea. Someone becomes nauseated because they're exposed to something that is nauseous and caused them nausea. But this is a this is a linguistic not a good linguistic hill to die on because that's not the meaning of the word anymore. Now, if you say I'm nauseous, it means like I'm going to throw up. And everybody knows that, so why be a dick about it? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I still appreciate <laughs> Stas busting out the correct old school usage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, she is a she is a trained poet. It's true. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> Uh, strong. Um, All right, real quick. Well, I pulled up that picture from Instagram. So at Mission Chinese uh, seven years ago, kombu cured, kombu cured scallops that they placed between two sheets of kombu, let it sit overnight, served with like grapefruit segments and toasted nori on top. Yeah, I'm sure there was some extra salt in there. Probably. We used to kombu, like kombu cure saba sushi, fantastic. And on the rice, when you push the kombu against the rice and let it sit and it gets that green transfer and mm-hmm. it gets that beautiful... One more thing on scallop. So scallop's another thing people don't like overcooked, right? Right. But when you have a not good scallop and it's a little bit raw and it's got that mush texture in the middle of it, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, my God. Terrible. Sad. Terrible. Well, because the thing is, is like the difference between, I, you know, I can deal with a, with a mediocre scallop as long as it's like, you know, not too over or too under, I can deal with it, right? I don't need a great crust on the top of it. I'm fine. You know what I mean? Especially if you're just going to hack it up and toss it into pasta, whatever you're going to do. I don't know, right? It doesn't matter. But uh, I don't even know where I was going to I don't even know where I was going to go with this. That's it. I, that was it. I was like, I can tolerate it. But I was like, I was like, but there. it's one of those things like a tomato where the difference between the low end and the high end is tremendous yeah. in terms of quality. You know what I mean? It really is. You know, and low ones, you're like low, like ones that like, yeah, they, they water out instantly yeah. and they free in, you know, they, they smell relatively fishy and they have that mush texture in the middle of them. And then they, they don't take on the color and, they just, uh, and then they serve them to Nastasia and she's like, thanks. <laughs> I, I now say I'm allergic. If, if people ask about it, I know it's, I know. Ah. I, just, I don't want them to waste their scallops on me. I don't want them to waste their scallops on me. Okay. Okay. Rex, getting married next summer. Any advice on working with a caterer on the menu uh, or on food that you think works particularly well or should be avoided? Wedding will be mid-June in New York City with around 100 guests and family-style service. We'd like to do a fish-slash-seafood entree, although we don't have raw bar money and probably need a beef or chicken uh, for the older family that expect the beef or chicken. (laughs) Yeah. That's tough. Uh, Listen, listen. Listen, the problem with mo- like if you're doing the standard stuff like this, it's about choosing recipes that can tolerate abuse. Right. So if you find a caterer that you like, the best thing to do is to find someone you like and then have them test a couple of their recipes for you and taste it 
and then abuse the hell out of those recipes and see how they're going to they're gonna work. When I go out to a, a, a wedding or an event and someone orders the fish, I'm like, really? And then, the, But I was at an event the other day and somebody, and somebody next to me ordered the fish and I tasted it. I was like, oh, that was shockingly fine. Because like fish, it's hard to get people to, to do it right. Unless they're using more modern techniques with good holding and stuff like this. Yeah. It's just fish ends up getting hammered to hell. So what can you do? You can say, hey, listen, let's do... Um, uh, let's do canals. Let's do like fish in some form that it's okay to hammer, right? Choose fish that can, you know, take a beating and, and still, still be fine. Skate. But people don't do skate at weddings. Why don't they do skate at weddings? Because they don't want to do all that searing. They want something that they can just quote unquote broil and serve. But skate's one of the few fishes you can beat the hell out of and not, and you know, have it be okay. What do you think? Yeah. I wonder if you could do like a salt bake fish, like per table. Oh, listen. You just need a lot of oven space. I don't know if it's family style. Well, but the thing is that it's a good it's a good idea. It's very presentation forward, which is good. The problem is is that the caterer needs to be good at it, or yeah. or Dave, there'll be problems. Dave, yeah. can you can you do a PSA for why Phil should have his wedding at my house and how food would work there? Like it's a free space. Pig roast. Pig Dave's roast. in charge. One. <laughs> oh my god! All right. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, look, I mean, like, I got married when I was very young. And we had no money. So, you know, it was at my, uh, at Jen's uncle's house in the back. And we got a, uh, what's it called? A, uh, we did brunch because brunch is a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. That's the advice you had yeah, for him. Brunch yeah. is so much cheaper for a wedding. And because at brunch, you can just get a bunch of cases of champagne or we used kava because we didn't have champagne money. So you get like a bunch of cases. No one expects necessarily a full bar at lunchtime. They're used to brunch being like a sparkling wine scenario, right? So you can get some beers for those kind of folk, some sparkling wine, and, you know, for your crazy uncle, you can get a couple of bottles of something so they can go in the corner and souse themselves to death, <laughs> right? And then, uh, you know, and then just brunch food is just much more, even though every service industry person detests working brunch, back me up on this, John. It's the absolute worst. Even right. though you're starting it next week. Lunch, not brunch. Okay. Yeah. But brun weeks. brunch food is pretty bulletproof. That's what's good about it. So it's easy to get that stuff out there, and everybody's going to be happy with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. As long as the French toast doesn't dry out, everyone's going to be fine. No one's going no to be like, oh, my God, the French toast. Maybe yeah. they will. Anyway, hopefully, yeah. hopefully they won't. You know, uh, anyway, uh, so my advice was, uh, you know, he, what was he trying? He was trying to save money in some really stupid way. He doesn't want to pay for, like, um, uh, rentals, like cups and, and tables and porta potties and all that stuff. And I was like... Uh, okay. Yeah. But he, look, listen. You save on the space. You save on the space. You save on the space. Um, anyway, so back to the other thing, working with them. Find someone that you're willing to, to work with that you like. I mean, the problem is, is that the more someone has already done weddings, the less they're going to want to work with you because they're just going to want to do their shtick. So it means you're going to have to work. If you're going to do a lot of work with someone where you're going to have a lot of input, it's probably going to be someone that's relatively new to it, which means there's a higher risk. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah. One thing I'll say is this. When we got our wedding cake made, uh, I, apparently, like, I, we were the only people that this person had ever worked with, the wedding cake person, who actually cared about the flavor of the cake. Mm. She was like, um, I just normally use a box cake. I'm like, no, you will use this carrot cake recipe. <laughs> and I gave her the carrot cake recipe that I wanted. She's like, oh, that's a good recipe. I might use that in the future. I was like, thank you. But I care about the quality of the cake. Yeah, you should. Right? Yeah. That's the last thing. That's what they're going to remember. I won't go into the Jaspeedy, which I still don't know how to. I won't, won't bring up the Jaspeedy, triggering me. All right, um, <laughs> that's a good story. Though. It's one yeah, of my well, someday, someday we'll do it again. When uh, you know, when when it comes to talking about my uh, my grandparents again, we'll bring it up. Crazy grandparents, Dave. Uh, I for some reason some like email came up. I think something with Alexis, and then Questlove potluck thing, and then the name of your drink. Do you remember what name of that drink you served? There? My grandma lives in my driveway. <laughs> Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to a lot of people because I realize that non-bartenders don't call Grand Marnier grandma. Oh. And because it had Grand Marnier in it because Grand Marnier was a sponsor. And furthermore, I found out that most people have never had their grandparents live in their driveway for like three years. Yeah. When the motorhome left, there were holes where the wheels were that were four inches deep. And that's true. Oh. 
that motorhome boop, 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 off the thing, big dents in the driveway. Wow. The umbilical cord. The umbilical cord would nightly pop the circuits as grandma cranked her electric blankets. And that's real life. Anyway. It's like, you know, like Nastasia said, you haven't lived uh, unless you've push-started your car. What do you got, Quinn? Oh, yeah, we do have a, uh, a question from the Discord this morning, if you want to do that before the other questions. Do it. Do it. Okay, uh, Biff Dit from Philadelphia asks, is black garlic fermented or does it undergo Maillard reactions or both? The latter. And uh, after you answer that, I, I have a comment. Okay. The, yeah, the latter. That's easy. Keeps getting Pe- asked. People call it fermentation yeah. because there are a lot of complex reactions that are taking place, but it's all at a temperature. It's not, it's not, anytime fermentation is there, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be facilitated by some form of microbe, right? And if it's not, then yeah, it's just chemical I, reactions, and that's what's going on. I called this question in like no, I eight think or nine years ago. confusion happens. Oh, sorry. Wait, what do you say, Quinn? Um, I think this confu- this confusion happens. I see this a lot as well in um, discuss- discussions around uh, tea processing. I'm pretty sure the word for fermentation in Chinese and other languages is just broader. But some when, some when they tea, talk about tea. I mean, we'll get McGee no, on. We'll get McGee on. Just We'll oxidation. Yeah. When they talk about just oxidation, it's called the fermentation phase. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel qualified to make a, a comment on 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 tea. Yes, I hear what you're saying. A lot of the oxidation is not caused by any microbes, but then there are ferment. I agree with you fundamentally, but we'll get we'll get an expert. We should get a tea expert on sometime. Yeah. Have we ever had a tea expert on? I know a producer in China. <laughs> yeah. I mean, worked we, with someone at MoFab. And I know, we know Harney. Remember that guy, Dave, in San Emmerich. Francisco? No, no. Oh, not Emmerich. Oh, uh, Fong? Yeah. Yeah. Who was, who was uh, starting his own tea garden in uh, yeah. south of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there's no such thing as wild tea. As soon as you pick it, it's not wild anymore for a thousand years. We're like, okay, man, Jesus. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mark Wade. Hey, Dave, big fan. In the process of starting a small cocktail concept. Tiny cocktails or a small place with normal-sized cocktails? Unclear. And uh, everything is going pretty well. I wanted to see how you went about sourcing quinine, as you referenced in your book. Mainly wanted to see if you're able to get it with your business formation documents or if you need some additional licenses. You do not need licenses. You just need to convince someone. The problem is really just the cost. So if you're buying from Spectrum or one of these other places, it's just going to cost you a lot of money. I haven't had to buy it in a number of years. So the easiest way to do it is to find someone who works at a university for a lab and just pay them to buy it for you. That's definitely the easiest way to do it. Make sure you're getting USP. If you can, get sulfate, not HCL. But maybe we should look it up again. I'm sure somebody at this point on Amazon has got to be selling it, right? Yeah. I think. We should get Modernist back on the line to get the – why doesn't Modernist carry that crap? You need only a tiny amount. I don't know. We'll get on it. All right. Uh, Perennial Pantry writes in, uh, hey, we're a food company working on grain puffing. We process Kernza. Now, Kernza is like some, it's like a long thing, right? Like wild rice looking kind of thing. Ecologically beneficial perennial grain, uh, deeply rooted, can extend 10 feet or more into the ground. Yield is rapidly growing after harvest. Good conditions. More seeds than annual wheat uh, and better for cows and cattle to eat after you take the kernels off. Okay. Anyway, so they're growing this stuff, and they're puffing it, right? Uh, And they keep burning the grain in the puffing gun, right? So they're using a 2.5-kilogram puffer, right? So that's like five—isn't that the size that we had, Stas, the one that we we had the unfortunate experience with? They're two-and-a-half-kilogram puffer, uh, trying many different moisture, charge sizes, PSIs, temperature, and times. We keep burning. Any tips, resources, or insights on the burning issues? Thanks. All right, so burning is caused by one of two things in a puffing gun. One— you're, you don't have a good seal. If you're able to puff other grains perfectly, but you can't puff the grain that you're puffing, that's when you know that, okay, it's not the seal that's the problem. It's not the gun itself. It's my recipe that's going in. So what's happening to you is, if it is burning in that case, is uh, either there's a lot of sugar in it, right? Because you can't, you can't puff things that are high in sugar. So if there's too much sugar in the grain, it's going to scorch during the, during the puffing procedure. Um, 
as it heats, right? The other thing is, is it could just be a low moisture. Did they say in the thing that I can't remember what I read? Temper that thing up to like closer to take the moisture content of it, right? And then uh, you can either buy a moisture content checker, which is what we used to do with the puffing gun, or you can, you know, the AAC, the AACC uh, method where you crush it finely and dehydrate it. Uh, for an hour and then reweigh it with a milligram scale, you can check the, the moisture level of your grain, but temper it up to a higher moisture level so that it uh, the starch, can, you need enough moisture for the starch to gelatinize at the high temperature and then expand when it goes off. So th- those are the two things I'd check, and it's pretty easy to temper it. You just, you, you, you weigh it, you add the amount of water that you th- that you need to get it back up where it's going, you thoroughly mix it by hand, seal it, and let it wait for, you know, 10, 12 hours to like equilibrate again and then go directly from there to puff it. That's what I, that's, that's the first things that I would do. First check the sugar, then, then check that. The final thing that you can do if you can do this is that the, the way that to really puff, if you're going to puff a lot is not to puff using a flame at all. The way that the actual people used to do it, even with the big puffing guns, is there would be an input into it and they would just inject high pressure steam into it. So if you can get a steam generator, so the temperature of it is like injected with steam and then maybe even just boosted a little bit with a flame that's going to have not as much of the heating time be heating. But if there's any leak at all in that puffing gun, you're going to take it into a room at Harvard full of students. You're going to set off all of the uh, fire detectors in that room and every scientist and grad student and student in that room is going to have to go outside at night uh, and look that sad. Was very scary. And and look angry and sad at you. Remember that, Stas? That was like a couple months after the Boston Marathon, too. Oh my god! Remember that? Oh my god! And we were doing everything we could to not call that thing a pressure cooker. Oh, oh my god! Nightmare. From Dave Kitchens, uh, I just finished Liquid Intelligence and enjoyed it. I have been agar clarifying grapefruit juice, and it got me thinking. Do you have any idea if clarifying grapefruit juice eliminates or decreases the? Now you ready? I'm going to try to say this word. Ferranocoumarins responsible for the issues related to taking certain medications. Uh, I can't find anything in the scientific literature, but I was just wondering if your science background, if you had thought this might be a possibility. In fact, I have thought about this a lot. I just have never been able to get it measured. The the ingredient of uh, most concern that I have always looked at is called bergamotin, and bergamotin is in fact a uh, ferranocoumarin. And what it interferes with mainly is things like statins. And so a lot of people who take statins or things like this, they they have an issue. But what's funny is, is that if you knew you were going to consume a certain amount of a grapefruit every day, you could actually adjust for it. But some medicines... You become more, uh, become more reactive in your system with grapefruit and some less. It's just very bioactive, which is crazy. I have a feeling that it would actually reduce them, but I don't have the proof. Anyone who can hear this that has a lab will send you some clarified juice, and you can test it to see whether or not the level is low because I've always thought maybe like that would be an answer for people because you know people who they couldn't drink the gin and juice. If they're like, I can't have grapefruit juice. I'm on statins. They could be like, oh, well, we fixed that. Anyway, so it's yeah. a good question. And I have thought about it. I just don't know the answer. Curtis Barnard writes in, uh, what would my ideal fridge or freezer setup in a home kitchen be? No space for one in the garage. Uh, I mean, I'd rather have a fridge and freezer in my garage than a car. Keep that car out in the driveway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, come on. Priorities, Curtis. Uh, Would you do under-counter units, glass fronts on the fridge, commercial units, or residential? Okay, listen. Commercial units suck, right? They, They, like... They're good for commercial, but at home, they just take a lot of energy and they're very loud, right? And so what I know from my from being alive and having had commercial fridges in my house for a long time because I love them is that while you love them, nobody else in your house is going to enjoy your electric bills and they're not going to enjoy the noise of the compressor unless you're, unless you're so fancy that you can have remote compressors and you can have your compressor in the basement and then your fridge upstairs. Not only are you going to have to spend a fantastic amount of money getting that thing fixed every year when it breaks because it will, right? That's the other thing about commercial refrigeration. It breaks constantly, right? Uh, but if you had that kind of money, I'm assuming you have space in your garage to put a fridge or a freezer and not worry about this problem. Undercounter fridges are nice. I will say this. Uh, uh, undercounter freezers are nice to store certain things. Um, but I would just – and glass front ones are okay, but typically at home – Especially with a freezer, you want the freezer to be as sealed up as possible to keep the quality of the stuff uh, at tippy-top, tip-top. 
So, like, let's say you have, like, your standard fridge-freezer combo. That one is one that automatically defrosts. Then opt for your undercounter being uh, one that uh, doesn't do an automatic defrost, and then keep that one for your deep-freeze stuff. And that way you can keep stuff longer at a higher quality. Um, but I like under undercounter. The problem with undercounter refrigeration in general is that it's not very space efficient because it has to be both counter depth, which real fridges aren't, right, and short, right. So you're you're losing twice. And if they if the compressor is contained in it, so the way the real refrigerator works is is it's very tall and it's very deep, and so they store the compressor stuff behind and underneath typically your fridge and freezer. You can't do that in an under counter, and so they have a very uh, they have a very small storage area for the amount of linear space they take up in a counter. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kev McHugh writes in, what are the best options for using carrot juice in a cocktail? If you're going to clarify carrot juice, make sure you put some acid in it. Otherwise it won't clarify well. I mean, classic is carrots and apples, carrots and apples, carrots, apples, vodka, carrots, apples, vodka. Enjoy it. It tastes good. Add a little citrus. Um, I used to juice it, uh, with a champion. Um, that's what we do. Juice champion. So like classic, like granny, granny and carrot juice them both. Then it clarifies well. Carbonate. Delicious. Yeah, just like being John Malkovich. Is that what they do in being John Malkovich? Yeah, that's how he survived. That's one of the old guy was always drinking carrot juice. Huh. Everywhere he went. I have not seen that in a long time, but I remember enjoying it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm pro Malkovich. I bet you I would not be, I bet you he Malkovich, would be a weird Malkovich, guy to have as a friend, though. Malkovich? 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, who would, Stas, who would you think would be a worse person to have as a, as a, like a standard friend, like to just have a normal conversation with? Malkovich or Daniel Day Lewis? Oof. Daniel Day-Lewis. Worse? Yeah. Mm. You would hate him, Dave. What do you mean? Well, it depends on what character he's pretending to be, right? Yeah, I guess. Lincoln. Oh, God. (laughs) With his high voice Lincoln? His, like, whiny voice Lincoln? Yeah. Oh, my God. There will be blood. I like him. Oh, yeah, but then, oh, my God, he's just so aggressive the whole time. Yeah. You imagine? I would prefer that. That's like having dinner with my grandpa. You want this? So it's familial. You'll understand it better. Did ever hey, talk hey, about what's that? The, what's the Daniel Day-Lewis' hardest role he's ever been? Do, do it. Do the voiceover. Daniel Day-Lewis, in his most difficult role ever, plays a normal father. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so like, uh, but like, I remember like speaking oh, like the way my grandpa was. Did I say this on air? I remember like, so like Booker, you know, Booker, who's autistic, first of all, right? And is three years old. Okay, three. Grandpa is, you know, in his mid seventies at the time, whatever, and like, you know, Booker's not, Booker's not. Did I tell this on air already? Did I already tell this story? So. Yeah. So, uh, John doesn't remember. So, like, Grandpa goes to Booker, makes a fist, puts it in Booker's face, and goes, "You want this?" And I turn to him. I'm like, Grandpa, you're not as young as you used to be. Otherwise, I will, I will. I, you're my grandfather, but I will throw you on the floor if you threaten my son. Are you nuts? You know what I mean? Can you imagine? Yeah. And he's only half joking. Yeah. And I was only half joking. Right. You know what I mean? It's like. But why was he mad at Booker? Yeah. <sighs> Sounds like your grandfather was a sailor. Uh, pilot. World World War Two. He was a. Uh, he used to train people to to uh, fly bombers. During World War II, the rest of his uh, flight contingent, uh, you know, went over and they all got uh, killed in P-40s in North Africa because their the planes weren't as uh, as good as the German planes, as the Messerschmitts that they were flying against. So a lot of them got wiped out, and they kept him as a bomber instructor. So he was a light bomber instructor, but he was a weird dude. He just he had a weird thing about about men. He had these weird like boys and men, like this weird like you know. Uh, he felt somehow like he was competing even with people who were his descendants. It's, we- it's weird. It's hard weird. The three-year-old? Uh, exactly, Stas. Exactly. Uh, Chris Grady, what's the difference between Mexican sour cream and creme fraiche? I've seen recipes with very similar times and temps. You know what? I've never done the analysis, but uh, crema that I get, uh, first of all, is highly you know, stabilized with stuff. I, I, I've never had artisanal crema. I've only ever had, you know, the stuff that I get in my local grocery store. But um, it's always more liquidy, whereas creme fraiche always seems to set up firm. And then when you break creme fraiche, it goes liquidy. And then you wait for a while for it to set up. That's why everyone's like, I'm going to use creme fraiche in a sauce. And then you take the creme fraiche and you add liquid to it. And you're like, oh, my God, it's too runny now. And then you're like, just wait, just wait. And then it sets back up again. And then you can put it back on the plate. 
And then you're like, and then they're like, I'm going to use creme fraiche. And then they do what you just said, but then they put it on something hot. And then that like gross white stuff bleeds out from underneath the, the dollop of creme fraiche. You with me? Yeah. Yeah. I love creme fraiche. I'm not anti-creme fraiche. But I'm saying crema is highly, the Mexican crema is more typically more stabilized in that you never get weep out of it. It doesn't ever weep because I think they guar the hell out of it. I don't know what they add to it. And, uh, and it also is always liquid. It never sets solid like creme fraiche. We say that's accurate. Yeah. I don't know how, why it's that way. That's just been my experience from years of eating both. Um, creme fraiche, a good thing to have around uh, to dope to make your own uh, cultured cream though. That's always that's always the one. It always almost always works. Like buttermilk doesn't always work, even though it's active culture. I've used it. Like usually creme fraiche that I've used as a dopant for making cultured butter works. Mm. I don't know why. I never. You know what? I should know what the cultures are, but I don't because I haven't had to care enough. I'm being. I'm for, I have to be forced to care. Kevin McGowan. I'm an avid cook. When buying new gear, my strategy so far has been to start uh, at a professional cooking supply shops with the assumption that they sell no nonsense, straightforward, good quality kitchen gear. Is this a sound strategy for a home cook? Uh, should I look uh, for any pitfalls when shopping at these types of places? Well, I mean, uh, we we can all chime in here. One of the issues is that sometimes people buy lower quality stuff because it's going to get beaten up. When you go to a kitchen manufacturer who's going to make like your hood or your counters and they say to you, commercial or residential, and you're like, why? And they're like, well, because I'm going to take it to a higher surface polish if I'm going to do it residential because they know commercial people don't care how it looks unless you're Jean-Georges. They care how it performs. So there's typically a lower surface level finish in a lot of stuff that's designed for the, your average day-to-day professional, right? So like, for instance, like I really love my Volrath Centurion pans with my thick aluminum bottom on them, but no one would want them at home because the handles look janky, even though they're strong, the handles look janky and the lips, they, they don't look like when someone comes over to my house, they're not like, Ooh, that's fancy. I'm like, mm, actually it is. You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, but my point is is that I think that's one of the reasons not to look for it. But in general, I think, you know, the p- people who are selling high-quality commercial stuff, it, stuff can take a licking. What do you think, John? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, it's – I love having all professional equipment and things like that. I don't know. I'm thinking like stainless steel bowls and fish spats and whatever. Yeah, that stuff's all good. Yeah. It doesn't look – great necessarily but i know it's going to last forever and you can get infinity of them for not that much exactly. like sheet pans and whatnot hey yeah. stas i have an idea here's a terrible idea ready for it mm-hmm. for our la party mm-hmm. so when the french culinary institute sh- uh shut down there was this guy what was his name oh yeah john and uh, we went and got their entire library and loaded it into a truck and drove it to uh to stanford where it is now or wherever it is wherever our storage yeah, is yeah yeah and uh so that's where the library is because it's for mofat so mofat has this library that we can't use including all of these chef demos that are on DVD that we need somebody to uh, somehow because we have the rights to put them up on the internet for the museum and like annotate and do whatever we want, but just we don't have the time. We don't have time anyway. But what we did get that we own personally, Booker and Dax, is the giant, giant industrial Spetzel maker. Spetzel party. Spetzel party. <laughs> Oh my God! Can you imagine a special party? So it's huge. An LA special party. But here's the here's the <laughs> kicker: Nastasia Lopez agrees to wear her freaking dirndl. Oh yeah, I have that. No, that's appropriation. I think that's not. Uh, you possible. worked in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, that's close enough. I don't know about that. <laughs> you worked in Switzerland. That's close enough. No, we have the giant special maker. And what are we going to make? So we can make special. I'm just going to put it Sausages. out here. Schweinhaxe. What? I said sausages, but okay, sausage is fine. Yeah, Schweinhaxe are also good. Or I'm put. I'm gonna put this out there. Jaeger schnitzel, mm. Jaeger schnitzel and, and spetzel. But that's their that theme? is a good combination. But, well, what's the reason? Spetzel party. <laughs> Do you need a reason, Nastasia? <laughs> no. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I mean, like, that, that doesn't happen. No one in L.A. is thinking Spetzel. So you, you, you figure out, like, some place, right? No, no one. You know, L.A. Oh, you going to L.A.? What are you doing? Spetzel? No one's thinking Spetzel yeah, yeah, party. Yeah, but they're like, why? Why do you have to go to L.A.? Because you don't sell it like, you don't, you don't do this. You're not like, hey, we're having a Spetzel party. You're like, Spetzel party! And people are like, oh, my God, Spetzel, I haven't had that in a decade. Let's do it. And they're going to show up and just going to have bowl after bowl after bowl of spetzel How with like butter and cheese. How do we get the machine there? It's not that big. Oh, okay. Put it in a suitcase. Oh, I didn't know. We, we just need a big old pot when we're there. 
And then it's yeah. like, zoop, 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 special, 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 special. And then it's wow. going to, mushroom, mushroom. Ready, Actually, mushroom special is delicious. That, and I was like, yeah, 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 that's what we're doing. All right, I was like. I'm excited. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter um, no, right, saying, what's the most interesting thing you've clarified? Oh, my God. The worst or the most interesting? I clarified a, uh, I clarified a Chipotle burrito once. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Jack Tasconi writes in, are you planning on opening a, uh, a new bar in New, in New York City? Hey, we just need to find a money person, but I'd like to. Matt, I'm looking for shelf-stable cordial, uh, lime cordial recipe. I've played around with it a little bit, and the closest I've come is making what has recently been dubbed Super Juice. I was like, blah, blah, blah. What is the question for me? Oh, how do you do it? it the way to make it shelf-stable is to just, uh, first of all, the problem with most cordials is getting the acid level right. Uh, Quinn, you can put up on the on the on somewhere like you know our current cordial recipe because he he's working on it. Bottle the cordial and then put it into a water that's hot enough to kill the yeast in it, and it'll be shelf stable, right? So bottle the cordial in little bottles. Make sure it's at fifty percent bricks when you're done. Make sure that it has six percent acidity when you're done, and then uh, and then bottle it and bring it up to temperature the same way that you would pasteurize maple syrup before you do it. Uh, and well, let's see. All right, so we're gonna get. We're, we only got. We only got three left. Uh, 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 Quinn, are we doing all right? We're doing all right. We're, we're, is, are you ready to save those for next time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Sure. Sure. All right. Sorry, Craig. Sorry, Martin. We'll get to you later. And Kyle, cooking issues. Mm-hmm.